0: Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In the fall of 2010, a single kinder travels to the Twin Cities of Minnesota to answer the call of an elder of his clan. Join us as Marco Giovanni is pulled by family loyalty into a strange territory in which he is forced to strengthen his family's influence, yet at the same time avoid destroying himself with his own dark desires. Hello and welcome to Twin Cities by Night Eidolon. Twin Cities by Night Eidolon is a Vampire the Masquerade duet story with Adam playing Marco Giovanni and Chris as the storyteller. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook, where you can find up-to-date news and a link to our Discord. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can find us on Patreon at Twin Cities by Night. We hope you enjoy it. So you find yourself making the same path that you made to go to her house if you were to call or you met her a house. A house is normally tied to like family and warmth and protection from the elements and what lays outside of it. Memories are built in a house, but the odds of that occurring in the mansion that you saw her in, I'm sure, are very low. And what is going on in your head as you find yourself getting off the exit for the highway and soon you're driving down these dark... Roads with large private estates, trees with leaves that are turning brown and are slowly going across as your headlights illuminate them.
1: On one hand, he's feeling the nervousness of like going to the principal's office or facing a scolding. But on the other hand, he's at this point convincing himself that up to this very moment, he's been right in every action that he's taken thus far and that everything he's done for him and for Jamie and for the family has been absolutely essential. And that sometimes things don't go the way that they're planned to go, but who's, who's a stranger to that? That's, that's the way that life operates. You know, his experiences in the business world taught him this. And he's like almost just almost like monologuing to himself and his thoughts as he, as he drives uh, past these trees and, Almost like with this sense of purpose and he's quiet and he plans on leaving Jamie in the car while he goes to talk. He's not really in the mood for sharing much words with her at this point anymore either.
0: It's almost like you both, and you do both have this unnatural bond between each other. And along with that bond that is shared through your vitae, there's an instinctual ability to pick up the moods and the boundaries of each other. So Jamie is really quick to pick up on your body language and on your demeanor and the fact that you do not want to talk right now. And she understands that.
1: And it's also like we just shared this moment of me expressing vulnerability and shame and needing to ask her for guidance. And because I've just done that, because I've just shown my weakness and because I feel weak, I need her to be quiet. I need her to like not... Say anything that's going to compound that feeling. I need her to be quiet so we can forget about that mm. and just move on and assume the correct roles that we're both supposed to have.
0: Exactly. And it's almost like she enjoys that role. To her, it's like this is a vampire, a dominor, a dominator and his ghoul. This is the fact that you now are on a whole different projection on a whole on a whole different wavelength and trajectory. And that she's on right now. And she's just in that role of servant along for the ride. She did her purpose, set up the meeting. What is going to go on from here on out until you decide to speak to her again on that level is something that is beyond her understanding. And she is comfortable with that. And that's her role.
1: And he can kind of see that like she's comfortable with that. And like she doesn't like when he breaks that almost like professional relationship, but it is something that happens often because he is an unstable person he is a person prone to these like fits of rage and fits of insecurity and stuff like that so a lot of times like this professional barrier breaks down and she has to basically pick him up basically console him or whatever and it's damaging to like their kind of professional kindred ghoul relationship but yeah, and it's like he it thinks it's like an unfortunate thing. So like whenever it does happen, he's quick to just kind of be like silent and just like so they can just like forget about it or something like a bad fight. He just mm. wants to like, um move he, on. he's like quiet so they can move on.
0: Has he ever seen her in a moment
1: of weakness? I'd like to think so. But at the same time, the front that she puts on and like the, the way that she like upholds herself, he maybe hasn't. Oh, hasn't been able to like he hasn't been given a a peek into that type of vulnerability, even though he's spilled so much of it out in front of her, not Mm. willingly, not intentionally, but just by way of the way that things have happened.
0: I would say probably the most vulnerable you probably saw her was and I don't know if you remember, we were taught we talked about one of the first sessions of this game, how there was one time where you were trying to close a business deal and someone was trying to hold it out. And you woke up one evening and you came out to your living room and this guy was naked and dead on this plastic sheet. And you saw her in her underwear covered in blood like she had seduced him. And then she killed him as like almost like a cat offering a bird to their owner.
1: And he like in a way that is the that is the closest that he's ever seen it. And he almost appreciates the situations where he brings her down to that level because Mm -hmm. it gives him a window into this part of her life that he's like not allowed to see essentially. So like he likes it in a way he gets like a a thrill and a satisfaction when they're cleaning up a mess together because it brings her down to this level of, of a beast and brings her down to this level of debasement that he like kind of revels in. So like he almost cherishes those moments when they do, occasionally like happen that being the most extreme extreme type and she was pretty
0: catatonic, you know, as someone probably would, you know, like she probably was dealing with the, the 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 sense of wanting to make you happy the beast that is in her blood, the competitiveness, the anger. And then when you woke up, it wasn't like she was sitting there like haha, I'm in my underwear covered in blood. It was almost she was like in shock from what she did. And you got to see that. And then that side of her kicked in where cleaning it up professional side moving on but you still remember like opening your door and seeing her there, eyes larger than you've normally seen them because she almost has that red neck like like almost like asianic look to her eyes that make them you know like the make them somewhat thinner you know instead they're wide and she, her lips are slightly parted and she's just blood is dried on her because she had been sitting there for like hours almost like she was waiting for you to wake up knowing that you would help her make it better
1: and that was the first time I got to see her as a true monster like mm. myself. Yeah. And I've seen her as like a the type of cold calculating monster, the type of emotionally barren and manipulative type of person monster. But um, he's never seen her just unleash and be a full on destructive entity like he views himself as almost like somebody that that you know everything he touches breaks in a way and he got to see that in her and it was like almost thrilling in a way
0: so did you ruin her life by giving her your blood is she never going to have a normal life now
1: oh for certain for certain he knows that and he's i think we even talked about this in another Mm. session too it's like Part of him like has has thought about like this. It's almost like not a fantasy, but just like a weird thought about like, had they both just not been part of this family, had they both just lived completely separate lives, maybe they would have bonded over like this type of traumas and the type of problems and the, the trouble that they have with just their lack of human empathy. Maybe they could have had some type of life together or something and like it's weird because like he he feels like this kinship to her but he knows that the only way that they are allowed to to exist together is through this type of strict professional relationship this relationship where we will see each other as monsters constantly and bring each other down to that level and then help each other try to recover from that and he's just like it's ugly but it's beautiful in a way you know and he's but he's right now he's quiet and he's driving.
0: So all those thoughts are going through your head as you slowly pull along this curved driveway that goes up to this large estate that we described before one that's made of red schoolyard brick showing that age of this house is probably quite a lot older than homes Older than old as homes as you may have seen in Massachusetts. It kind of reminds you almost of the home where you first met Rita, one that has a foundation that's probably older than anyone who's currently alive in this city. You know, behind there is a lake, which you cannot see from here, but you see on the sides of this large estate thick pine trees that kind of protect the view of the lake from behind it. You see these Greco Roman columns that are by the front door that hold a little porch that is over it and you see large windows with warm light coming from within and you see this single gas lamp that's on a light pole that's in the middle of the yard like you see a lot of older homes like this indicating that this home was probably built before there was electricity and as you turn off the engine jamie looks at you she says i'll wait out here she's expecting you
1: And I just give her a look, and then I just exit the vehicle and begin walking inside. My hands are in my pockets. My head is kind of looking down, but I'm moving with a sense of urgency. I want to get this off my chest as soon as possible.
0: Hmm. So you go up to the front door. What are you doing? Are you knocking? Are you walking in? Are you?
1: I'm actually just going to open the door and uh, step in.
0: So you open the door, and you see that you're in this little foyer that you were in before where you... The first time that you came here, and you know to the left, you see that there's that door that leads downstairs, but straight ahead, you see that there looks to be what could be a living room. You see like a part of a bookshelf that has some books in there. You see like the left side of a couch, its back is facing towards you. You can see that there's a lamp that's next to there on a table, an end table, but you can tell that there's more to this room. You're just seeing a small part of it. And you hear a voice coming from that room. Marco, come and sit down and speak to me.
1: And he's quiet, almost reluctant for a second. And he follows the voice.
0: So you slowly walk from this foray where it has like these old Italian tiles that you saw at your time in Venice on there. And eventually you step onto the carpet that is in the living room and you turn and you see the full length of the couch that you saw the back of. And then you see there's more bookshelves that go along the wall. And then there's almost perpendicular to the couch. There's like a love seat, and you see further down the room, which is really dimly lit. You can't make out too much on there. You see, there's like a what looks to be like a dining room table, maybe a rounder table, and there's a big picture window there that faces this lake that you can see. And she's sitting in the love seat, and she motions for the couch for you to sit down. And there's a coffee table almost that is kind of, I guess, in front of the couch. So it's almost like the couch and the love seat make like an L-shaped to where. You both will have you of these bookshelves that are along the wall and she motions for you to sit down you see that she's wearing a gray dress you see that the front of it has buttons large white buttons that come along that go from her stomach up into between her breasts you see that there's like a white collar that is on here it looks almost like a business collar that you would see like on a business shirt that a man would wear you see that sleeveless and the skirt goes down to mid-calf, and she's sitting there with these black high heels on, and she has a gold chain instead of pearls this time with the crucifix that is gently hanging over the dress. And you're struck for a second by her stillness after she motions for you to sit, her lack of blinking for a second while she stares at you, and she crosses her legs, and she leans on the left side of the love chair so that you guys are almost like sitting next to each other in a weird way. Not across, but at an angle. You wish to speak to me, Marco.
1: And Marco will slowly and kind of like cautiously just like walk up and sit next to her very closely. And he's sitting down. His head is kind of down. His hands in his lap. And he's like, Rita, I need to speak to you about something I've done.
0: Are you talking about Roman?
1: He's stunned and quiet for a moment and he looks up at her with eyes wide and he's like you already know
0: you are surprised that i know it's like she says like a, a fact like like a like an observation not like a question almost like she's looking at you like for lack of a better term like a lab rat and you gave a reaction that she wasn't expecting
1: his confidence on his face is like clearly fading and he starts to just look very sad like this sad little kid almost and he just gets down on one knee and he's kind of like trying to like hold himself like close to her and he's just like i i came down here to ask for your forgiveness i i thought you'd be upset with me
0: and she's looking at you and you see like like no emotions on her face you just see these gray eyes and she says sit down
1: and uh he collects himself and and rises and uh, sits back down
0: and she's looking at you for a second Again, no emotion on her face. And she says, what happened? Do you mean with Roman or do you mean with... There's more, I see. Yes, with Roman.
1: I went over to, to talk to him. He was insulting to me in a way that was undeserving of your love, Rita. He does, he does not deserve to be a respected member of this family. The way that he belittled me, I lost control. And I admit I was wrong. In the moment, it, it overtook me. So I know that that was not my place to... He overstepped. He overstepped. He disrespected you. And I know this might hurt to hear because I know he's he's yours, but he overstepped in a way that is unbecoming of this family. He overstepped
0: and you punished him. So why do you grovel before me?
1: Rita, because I respect you. You're my everything. You're my mentor. And I worried that I would have crossed you. Even the thought... Just put me at such unease. I felt the need to talk to you.
0: Was he given the kiss?
1: No, but... No. I gave him a bit of my...
0: What is he? What is he to me, Marco? And think before you answer. Do you think that I hold any emotion over him? That he's important to me? What is Jamie to you, Marco? What purpose does she serve to you? Why was she given to you, Marco?
1: She is a tool, Rita. She's an asset.
0: She's a tool. And what are you, Marco? I'm a tool. No.
1: To you. To the family.
0: You are a member of the family. You are a canite, a kindred. You are a vampire. You were given a gift that many grovel over, many chase, many want. What is Roman, Marco?
1: He's despicable.
0: What He's is less he? Than nothing. What is he, though? What do you think he is to me, Marco? A tool. He's of the flesh, Marco. His family, where he comes from, they have peculiar tastes. And as you know, I am sure, Marco, when our vitae is introduced to those who are not given the gift, who are given the proxy kiss, it brings out certain aspects of their personality, which maybe aren't as close to the forefront as they were before they received the kiss. So before Roman was even given the kiss, his family peculiar tastes, I gave him the kiss. And he's been given the kiss for a long time, Marco, which. I would hope at this stage of your existence, you would see as a sign as maybe where his standing is with the family. Were you given the kiss before you were brought over? No. This man has been given the kiss for over one century. Do you think that he is worthy of being brought over? Do you think you already would have been brought over? Why do you think you were brought here, Marco?
1: To help you, to help us.
0: And if the man, who's a tool of mine, still here, and I'm asking a member of the family to come and help, what do you think that says about that tool? It says it's not serving its function like it once did. So
1: Marco's nodding along.
0: You come and you grovel on your knees for something of the flesh, begging forgiveness. You are more than the flesh, Marco. Our family, the reason we are around, the reason we exist is for things beyond the flesh. Stop thinking of the flesh. You reacted. That's what happens sometimes. You handled it. He is not dead, but I think it will be a while before he is able to communicate even normally you did quite extensive damage on him but i think if he recovers which i think he will he's resilient maybe he will think twice about how he speaks to you right
1: you're right rita you're right and i'm sorry for coming to you like this but the words you've said have have given me what i need to go forward and i'm sorry again but this me coming to you like this this display of weakness i promise i will never waste your time with it again.
0: Marco, you are Giovanni. We have had to fight for our existence for centuries. We had to budge our way into these matters of these kindred and these canites. We've had to be strong. We've had to be secluded. I need to be able to rely on you, Marco. And I see within you you have the capabilities to do that. Silvano. And you see a moment where her brow tightens, and that clear porcelain forehead of hers almost looks like as if it cracks did you an injustice, but I was able to put things on the path that they were supposed to be on.
1: Indeed, you did. And I'm forever in your debt, Rita. You're my everything.
0: Yes. And she just like says it was like a, like a, a fact, you know?
1: Marco's going to, after like a moment of her silence and his silence, he's going to say, I've done what Philip has asked of me, but I worry that in doing so, I overreached. And some of the information I found puts us in a Interesting spot, I should say.:
0: How can you overreach Marco when he reached out to us? And you just see this little smirk come from the side of her mouth, the left side of her mouth. They rely on us, Marco. In we looking can-
1: past the veil, I may have pushed beyond what I may normally be capable of. And what I saw was troubling, to say the least, but informative. Continue.: In the two women's last moments, I saw them through their eyes, saw their last visions, them on their knees in a warehouse of some sorts, surrounded by other kindred. Apparently they were ready to meet their final moments there when they saw somebody else. They felt at ease when they saw this figure as if it was somebody they believed to be their friend, somebody they believed they could trust. And then flies, the flies have followed me since this event, into my sleep, into my, into my psyche.
0: And there's a moment where you hear this loud crack, like wood is cracking. And you look at her left hand and you just see that her hand has squeezed on the armrest of this love chair. And the wood is like snapping and crumbling as like her hand is getting deeper and deeper. And you can just, you're looking at her hand and you look at her face and her face is just blank. And there's a moment where the hand like flexes out, like it realizes what it's done. And she turns and she looks outside the window, like away from you. And there's just like this weird silence.
1: Marco is scared in this moment, to be honest. He's not sure if he said the wrong thing, but he's just, he's just like tensed up, just watching.
0: And she stands up and she turns slowly and she looks down at you. And she says, Marco, follow me.
1: And And, uh, yeah, I follow her.
0: So she walks slowly out of the living room and to the foyer and she goes towards that door that you know leads down to that basement where there was like the room you saw her get dressed in before and then had the weird arch double doors there that she had like opened and came from. And she walks down the stairs and she flips a light switch and you see like the same room light up that you saw that very first night that you came. And you see that she is walking towards the double doors, those arch doors, and she turns and looks at you. And there's a moment where she stops and she says, "Undress me."
1: And um, I go over and I start like carefully and, and slowly removing her clothes in like a very respectful way.
0: And she looks eventually as you slowly unzip the back of the dress and it slides down to her and you help her take off her bra and step out of the panties that she has on. She turns and looks at you and she slowly like takes, starts taking the jacket off of you. Does Marco ever feel any like mortal stirrings like, any sexual stirrings, or was that wire, those wires, like, crossed pretty much, like, from the get-go of, like, especially your embrace? In retrospect, you had a pretty jacked-up embrace that would have probably, like, scarred you, you know, but, like, is there any stirrings from this at all?
1: No. No. Marco is, like, probably, like, I don't know, close to, like, asexual, I would yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, especially because of, like, like you said, those wires were, like, very crossed, like, before any of this, and, like, he had a very distorted view of like of that and like he always kind of like coupled it with like power and control and like shame and guilt and stuff like that so like he was very into like bdsm but not in like a in like a destructive way he didn't get any kind of like liberation or freedom in practicing that yeah it was kind of like like a like a vice i guess for him um so no like and at this point where he's Ben, as far as necromancy and stuff like that, he doesn't feel any sort of emotions like that. He just doesn't view things that way at all anymore.
0: Yeah, for sure. And you get the sense as she's slowly undoing your tie and undoing unbuttoning your shirt. It's like ritualistic. It's not sensual. It's like you got me undressed, now I am getting you undressed. I don't know if this thought crosses your mind, but you both could have gotten undressed on your own. But it's almost like You know not to stop it because you feel like there's a purpose to it. She dresses you almost like you can vaguely remember your mom would dress you for like daycare or preschool or like getting ready for bed, you know? And soon you are both standing in front of each other and you see her flesh is cold and it's pale. Before you saw her kind of, but you were looking away out of a reverence, a respect. But now you look and you see that her nipples and her areolas are almost bluish, purplish, almost like someone who has been cold. And you realize too when you see like the neck up while her skin is pale on her face, you can see like the makeup that has been like applied that you witnessed. And it's a stark contrast from what you saw before. You can see almost cemented in eternity, it looks like minor stretch marks along her abdominal area which maybe indicates that she might have had children in her mortal life. You're not sure. Eventually she turns and you see her hands grab those double handles that are on the door and you see her just pull. And you almost sense like you can see like her back strain a little bit and then you just hear like, it almost sounds like a release as like the doors open up. And as they slowly open up, you can feel like a draft almost. That's the first thing you feel is like a, cool draft that comes upon both of your bodies but it's dark you see no light coming from ahead of you but you can see the entrance to the left and right it looks like if you were to guess that there are walls at a tunnel that is in front of you right now and that the walls of this tunnel on the left and right that you can see maybe three feet in through the darkness have what looks like holders that a torch can be held on and you see she walks up to one and you see she grabs something. It looks like it might have been hanging from a string on there. You're not quite sure. And you see like sparks like kind of like emitting. And you hear this like tch, tch. and then you see a little bit pff, and you see like this looks like a at first you thought it was like a torch. It was kind of hard to tell, but it looks like almost like an Olympic torch where there might be like propane or something on there. It's not like any burnable cloth. And you see like this little blue orange kerosene like flame come from it. And you see she kind of takes it. And there's a moment where you're kind of like stepping back a little bit but it's it's so unthreatening at this moment and you're feeling like this inner resolve and you see that she goes ahead and she lights another one along the wall and then she goes and she turns almost like this little knob and all of a sudden you see further down like two more turn on and you see like further down like two, two more turn on And you start realizing that it must be the system that has like kerosene or like some kind of like natural gas that goes along there that allows us the first from each side to get lit that then she can control the other ones and you see before you a tunnel or excuse me a a walkway almost that is the same shape as this arch that you walk that you open the doors from and as you're slowly walking following her you realize that there's tile on the floor and there's tiles along the walls and along the ceiling. And you see this art. It's familiar. You may have seen something like this in Venice and actually give me, a uh, intelligence and a academics role, please. Difficulty six two. She's walking slowly. Cause she knows, like she even looks back at you a couple times to see that you're there, but you're kind of like looking up and around and you realize these are roman like murals they have the art style of like what roman bathhouses used to have i mean this is older than venetian and you let me get you to roll an intelligence and a cult role difficulty seven I, i keep wanting to give you this info and i forget like maybe i should have you roll two you start remembering a discussion that you and rita had when you were in venice you knew she had came that first night from within the canals walked out of the water you've kind of heard or picked up that there was things under the city, under the water. And you almost were like, oh, I want to know. I want to see. I want to know the history. And there's a moment where she stopped and she looked at you. And she says, our history is much more than Venice. Our history is Roman. We have been, before we were even this, we were great and we were Roman. Our art started in Rome long before we even knew of Canites. Remember that, Marco. Remember the history of our family. And that is going through your head as you start seeing, like, these murals. And eventually, you walk for about 50 yards. It seems like an eternity. And you can hear, like, dripping, like, water from, like, the ceiling, kind of, like, splatting on the tile. There's, like, there's water and condensation that's built up in here. And you can feel that breeze, and you can sense that you might be walking towards something that is, like, water. But it's kind of a little dark up there. You can't quite make sure as you're getting closer. And eventually, you come to where this pathway almost ends and you look and you just see dark water in front of you and you can't see the other side but you kind of look above and you kind of sense that the sky is not above there must be like something built over like a you can't quite make quite make out what it is but you know that the light that you had in the tunnels isn't quite illuminating the water here but you see she looks to the left and to the right and you see there's like Three foot like walkways, like you can go left or right. That kind of goes around the water, and there's like steel tile walls there. And she walks slowly along one that leads to the left. And you can't quite make out what she's walking towards, but eventually she stops, like six feet, seven feet in. So it's not that long. And she turns, and it's almost like this weird feeling because you turn, and you're like, well, she's going to look at the wall. She's not looking at the water. And you see there's a moment along the wall where she puts her hands on like these two tiles and the tiles are like part of a huge mural like like and it's hard to make out because it's darker and roman art is very like very hard to interpret it's It's like that
1: mosaic kind of yeah it's
0: mosaic yeah so she puts like her hand on one and you see she like pushes it in a little bit and puts her hand on another and pushes it in and then like her hands kind of curl and then she pulls her hands out and you almost kind of like gotta step back a little bit because you'll have that much space it's only like three feet you know and eventually you see like a part of the wall like opens up a little bit it's about like four tiles maybe so it's about two foot by like two foot and it looks like it's like a hinge and slowly she pushes it against the wall and you see in front there's two masks white pale death masks roman death masks the eyes are completely covered in white plaster the mouth and the face and she takes one, and she hands it to you. And she takes the other, and she looks at you and says, put it on, Marco, we must go to the other side.
1: If you enjoyed Eidolon, I highly recommend checking out our Ghouls Fatal Addiction series called Servitude. Set in the same continuity, it will give you a glimpse of major events and people of influence in the Twin Cities. And if you find you can't get enough, Jump right into our main series starting with
0: the negligent story arc.